0: I just want to start off this morning by asking you a question to think about and the question is what makes you feel excited what are the things or the people or the places that stir up in your heart your heart starts beating fast you get you know overwhelmed with excitement thinking about this person or these things I know that a couple of weeks ago many of you drafted for your fantasy football team for the new season And that day's filled with a lot of anticipation and excitement about this team. This year's gonna be different. You're gonna get that running back you never had last year or the quarterback and you're excited and you're looking forward to the start of the season. Unless, of course, you're in Kehoe's league and you have to play Helen Lee. (laughs) And then that excitement vanishes after that week. And I was looking at this picture this week, and I was like, it's so fitting because I bet that's the face she has when she beats you. It's kind of (laughs) like, Yeah, you just got served. Maybe you're a gamer and you're excited about I heard there's a new Halo game coming out and so maybe you're excited about a new game a sequel to a game you've played and beaten and you're really looking forward to that new release um, whether it be an app or a computer game or a video game. If you're a fashionista maybe you're excited about the fall fashion trends and if New York's fashion show is an indication capes apparently are in and um, itty bitty bags and so maybe some of the women in church are excited about using their new accessories as the fall season kicks off. Or maybe you're excited about the new shows, shows coming back or new premieres and you're excited about new television shows coming out. But most of these things, honestly, if, we're, if we think about it, our excitement passes. It, it's fleeting. It, it, it goes away so quickly. And it doesn't sustain itself. But every once in a while, there's a thing or a place or a person that sustains our excitement and our joy. For Merwin, whenever she, she has a this, starting school this week or having some exciting experience, she gets so excited she can't keep up with her thoughts. And she stammers. She's like, um, uh, uh, mm, And then, like, she rattles out all these things. None of the thoughts are connected. But you can tell she's so excited about what she's experienced. She wants to share it. Now for my dad, that excitement comes whenever we have the opportunity to go watch the New York Yankees play baseball. And this past week I had the chance, a friend of mine was visiting from Japan that had never been to the new Yankee Stadium and my dad got us tickets to go together. And he, the whole drive there was just, we're listening to sports radio and he's excited and we're seeing the the stadium, we get there and I'm starving because I had been working all morning on the sermon and I drove to meet him at his job and then we drove from there and I hadn't eaten lunch. And so my thought is hot dog, hamburger, Benny Hanna, whatever I can get in the stadium, the first place I go, I'm gonna get food. And he's so excited about showing you go Yankee Stadium. And so he's like, well, the first thing we gotta do, we gotta go into the museum. And so he makes us walk all the way up to the museum in the stadium, which has baseball signed by every Yankee player and all this memorabilia and we couldn't just do a quick lap no we had to stop in front of every glass case so he could explain to yuko all these awesome things that were on display and then we get out and we're going to our seat and he's like yuko look at all these banners all of these black and white these are all the yankee stars from 1970 and, and previous and then if you go to the other side here are all the yankees that played after 1970 and they're in color black and white in color and he's like running and going like trying to show her so excited we get to our seat and i'm like finally we're going to get to watch the game And he starts. he's like, Chris, did you know Mickey Mantle hit a home run that hit one of the lights on the upper deck on the right field side? Could you imagine how far that ball would have gone if it had gotten over the roof? And I'm like, Dad, I just want to watch the game. And you can tell I was tired of his enthusiasm by the time he took this selfie. Because if you look at me, I was clearly looking like these guys. And he's like, turn around. And I'm like giving a half smile so I could go back to watch the game. Now, I share that because... That kind of excitement, that kind of enthusiasm is present in this morning's text. And what we're going to see today is one of four weeks we're going to spend on a single sentence that Paul writes about Jesus. It's outrageous, but it's 202 words that the English translation breaks up into 12 verses. But in the original language, it's one sentence. And it's Paul being so overwhelmed, so excited, so blown away by the blessings that God has bestowed on his people through Jesus that he can't contain himself. And what we see is that this, this sentence kind of frames the entire letter of, of Ephesians. And, it, and we're just going to start by looking at two blessings that we're blessed because we're chosen by God, and we're blessed because we're adopted. And so join me now in a reading of God's Word. This is just verses 3 through 6 in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is God's word and all God's people say. Amen. So the first thing we need to see before we dive into these two blessings is that Paul is praising God and he's praising God as the triune God, the Trinity and the work that together One God in three persons has accomplished in Jesus. And if you look at the verse, we see them all present. Blessed be God, the Father, whose plan was to save a people for himself. He had this plan, and it was executed through Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And the spiritual blessings that we experience as God's people come because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in this first verse of praise, we see the Trinity at work, working together to bring salvation to God's people. And then we see that these spiritual blessings are now going to be listed for the next several verses. But before we look at what it means to be chosen, I thought it would be good to spend a moment just thinking about what is a blessing. And as I was thinking about this passage on the cruise, I I, I woke up one morning, and I was like, Courtney, what does it mean to be blessed? Because it's used so often in Christian culture, right? You go on Instagram, hashtag blessed, you know? What does that mean? What do do we mean when we say the word blessed? Well, there's actually a lot of different words that are translated as blessed in the Bible. But this particular word, if you look at it, it's speaking about the favor that God has shown to his people. That he has given his people gifts that they could never get for themselves, That which is alien to themselves, God has given as a present. You can't get it by work, right? You can't get it on your own. It's given to them. And if you look in the Old Testament, the word that's used, if you look at the Greek translation, is the same word that Paul uses here, and it's used throughout Genesis. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God has shown favor to the man and the woman that he has made to enjoy Eden, right? And then when God finishes creation, it says God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He, he showers his divine favor on the Sabbath day of rest where God's people gather to worship him. And when he speaks to Abraham, right, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will give you descendants, even though you're old and you haven't had a child, I will give you land far beyond what you could imagine. These are the types of blessings that Paul is praising God for, giving God's people what they could never get for themselves. And he's delighting in these gifts. And the first blessing is in verse 4, right? And it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The first blessing that Paul praises is that God chose his people. You can't earn it. You can't take credit for it. It's solely the work of God according to his pleasure. And it's all over the Bible, Romans 8. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God doesn't choose you because he looks into the future and says, I know that on this date, Justin is going to believe in me, so I'm going to choose him because he's going to make the right choice. He doesn't look at our good deeds and say, this is a good person. I like this person, I choose him. No, God chooses you out of his good pleasure. Before you you do or say or or do anything, he chooses you because it's pleasing to him. Think of the way Jesus speaks about it in the Gospel of John. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. What a comforting thought, right? To know that before God did anything, he chose you before he made the sun and the moon, before he made the seas and the dry land, before he made the stars and the sky and the birds and the animals. He chose you. We've all had the experience of not being chosen, and Tom meditated on that in the call to worship, right? You try out for a team, and you don't make it, right? You audition for the school play, and you're not chosen. You have a dream college you want to go to, and you get a rejection letter from them. Even when you get chosen last, it feels like you didn't get chosen, right? I was saying this morning, I still cringe when we do a game in youth group and we have to divide up and have the kids choose teams for that person that's getting chosen last. I like cringe. I'm like, oh, it feels like you weren't picked at all. Not asked to the dance or to the prom, right? But in contrast, being chosen feels awesome. That person that always gets picked first for basketball feels awesome. He knows that they want me on the team, right? And being asked to the prom, being chosen to lead a project at work, that feels awesome. You're excited. You know that they think you're the person for the job. Stop and think. Before God created anything, before the foundation of the world, that's what the verse says, he chose you. He said, you're mine. God looks at Solomon and says, Solomon, you are mine. He looks at Danielle and he says, you are mine. He looks at Uriah and says, you are mine. He looks at Courtney and he says, you are mine. It's an amazing thing to be chosen by God. And what's even more amazing, right, is that none of us should be chosen. And we can think about this in all sorts of ways, but we'll just look at two ways, right? First, think about it from a cosmic perspective that God chooses us, right? We have such an inflated view of ourselves in this current culture. My dad got us really good seats because he wanted Yuko to have, like, an awesome Yankee experience. So we were on the third base line, right next to the dugout, maybe three rows from the wall. Really, really close. And as the game goes on, right, people start to leave the stadium, and seats open up. The Yankees were winning. It was a weeknight. And so the seats around us were opening, and this girl walks slowly up to the front with a Diet Coke in her hand and her boyfriend in tow, and she gets up to the line. And she goes, and her boyfriend starts snapping pictures on her phone. And she snapped, she was like, and then her hair went in her face and she like flipped it. He had to take like 20, and, and that's, that's what we are. We think so much of ourselves, right? This, this picture is what needs to be taken while we're at this Yankee game. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's an astrophysicist that leads um, the Museum of Natural History in New York. He was recently on Colbert talking about a book that he wrote. And Colbert pulled up this picture. This picture was taken by the Cassini satellite that's been orbiting our galaxy, taking amazing pictures. And he asks, Colbert asks him to talk about this. And he says, um, DeGrasse Tyson says, this is not dust. He's like, this is not like a, a bad photo. He's like, this is Earth. This is Earth through the rings of Saturn. And he says, we are a speck. And then he goes on to talk about his book, Astrophysics for Dummies, and he says that his book ends with this cosmic perspective. And he says something remarkable. He says, you should not be walking the streets without a baptism of a cosmic perspective. If you look up into the universe and you feel small, it's because you started out with an ego unjustifiably too high to begin with. Ouch. But he has a point, right? We do have inflated egos, but the God who made everything, everything we can see, everything we can't see with satellites, he made it all, and he chose a people for himself. The psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And he's right. The psalmist is right. What is man that you are mindful of him? And yet, God does think of us, and he treasures us so much that he sent his son to save us. So human logic it says we would never from a cosmic perspective why would we ever be chosen but we also shouldn't be chosen from a personal perspective if we get really close to ourselves think about it if people knew everything about you would they ever choose you think about the thoughts that go through your mind think about your motivations think about your attitude would you ever be chosen would you choose yourself We're selfish, self-centered. And when we know more about things, we change our choices all the time, right? Dating relationships, right? This person is awesome. Three months later, we're like, I I changed my mind. (laughs) I made a mistake, right? We get this dream job that we were looking forward to. We apply, we get it. And then six months in, we're like, I changed my mind. This is a terrible job. I want to go somewhere else, right? And we don't even fully know ourselves. I know that if God showed us everything about our hearts, we would be so horrified by it. We're worse than we think. The best things we do are selfishly motivated. And yet, he chose us. You were chosen by God. And the last part of the verse gets crazier because it says you were chosen to be holy and blameless. We're reminded that we're not chosen because of anything we've done. None of us are holy and blameless alone. We've been chosen in Christ. He made us holy and blameless. His perfect record, His obedience, His beauty, His awesomeness. God chose us and then He made a way for us to be chosen through Christ. So, all those sins that confront us, that make us not want to choose ourselves, they've been dealt with permanently. And definitively by Jesus in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection. If you're not a believer here, how could I know if I'm chosen? Does this sound like good news? Does this sound like something you want God to be saying about you? If so, God is at work in your heart. Now think about for a second how awesome this is, right? From the beginning, God has a plan, to choose his people and to save them. And that means that you and I can't screw it up. Adam and Eve, one command, don't do this. They did it, right? Um, Israel, I saved you out of slavery. What do you do? Oh, we're going to worship a golden calf. David, you're, you're a man after my own heart. I choose you. What are you going to do? I'm going to murder somebody. I'm going to sleep with their wife. I'm going to lie about it. Solomon, I give you all the wisdom You're the wisest man. What I do, I'm going to introduce idolatry into worship of God. We sin every day, and we can't screw it up. God says, I choose you, and nothing can change that. So much of our lives is wrapped up with wanting to feel chosen, wanting to feel worthy. And that that selfie girl, right, she wanted a lot of Instagram likes. She must know that that side, because she only did one side, and that turn of her head is going to get the most hearts and we laugh because some of you have that pose I bet I bet some of you know oh no no you got to do the selfie on this side of my face and others of you are laughing because you know it's it's all of our hearts are the same right it doesn't matter maybe you don't take selfies maybe you don't even have Instagram but you want to feel worthy and chosen and that comes out in your relationships and your work right it's there The security that comes from knowing that you were chosen by God is something that no one can take away from you. It's dependent on Him alone. It's not changing. If you wanna be confident, know that God chose you. And think about our plans. What are the things that we plan in advance? God, before the foundation of the world, chose a people for himself. There are only a couple of things that we plan out in advance, unless you're the kind of person that plans everything in advance and you know what you're gonna do X, Y, and Z. We plan our weddings. Right, so Courtney and I, we were we got married in Oklahoma, we were living in New York, so we didn't plan a lot of things in our wedding. We planned just the ceremony. Her mom found the venue, her mom tasted the cakes and said these are good. And we tried, we 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 trusted her and her sister to do a lot of the planning for us. But we planned the ceremony. What are the passages that we're gonna have read? What's gonna be preached on, right? What are the songs we want people to sing? Who's gonna do the readings? We planned in advance, and you know how that day went? If you remember, that day was a disaster. During the ceremony, it had to be stopped several times because Courtney was sick. And in the midst of the sermon being delivered, I was so excited to hear my, my a close friend preach this passage from Colossians. Courtney was like, exit left. <laughs> to the horror of all of the guests. <gasps> Why are they going to even get to kiss each other, Right. And then I did kiss her. Her mom was like, I can't believe you kissed her like that, knowing how sick she was. And then I was sick on the honeymoon. <laughs> so what we plan in advance never turns out the way we want it to, plan- like, it to be, right? And then even when our plans do work, right, they often change. So we get that job. And like I said, then it's not what you want. Or you're miserable. Or you're unhappy. But God has made a plan to chose a people for himself, right? And nothing can hinder it. And we're made holy and blameless because of Christ. So we're chosen. And then Paul goes on to this second blessing. He says, you're blessed because you're adopted. So look at verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So the plan that God has is not just choosing people to be saved. It's not just to make people holy and blameless before him. It's to become members of God's family. And this reveals the character of God.
1: In love,
0: He predestined us for adoption. We're one with the Old Testament believers, right? Why did God choose Israel, right? Because it pleased Him, because He loved them. Think about what He says in Deuteronomy He says, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. And in another verse, he says, it wasn't because of your character either. You're stiff-necked people. You're hard-hearted. But I love you. Like Israel, God is saying he loves us. Personally, individually, it won't change. But to all who received him, he gave power to become children of God. amazing it shows so much about who God is right this is not some sort of cold legal transaction a stone-faced judge saying you're innocent now go your way God could give us new hearts to see that he is real and who he is God could say your sins have been forgiven because of my son and yet not adopt us but that's not his purpose we're adopted he wants us to call him father he wants us to know that we're his sons and his daughters. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. This verse in Hebrews 2, right? I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. you ever stopped and thought how insane this verse is? Jesus declares your name. Ed emailed me the song list this week and i emailed him back with this verse and i left it blank and i said ed can i put your name in this verse and i I think he thought he was on candid camera he's like uh uh yeah i think so i mean like what's what's going on here and 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 then we started exchanging texts about how amazing it is that jesus sings praises about us we want to be praised by man right selfish self-serving We're fickle. We change our minds. We want something and then we abandon it. Meanwhile, the Son of God is singing to us. And he sealed our adoption, not by signing papers, but with his own blood. He purchased us with his own blood. And our legal standing comes because Jesus was judged in our place. That's the cure for worry and anxiety. What do kids say when they're worried or threatened? My daddy. My daddy can do X, Y, and Z. God is our father. That's the recipe for boldness. I've never been adopted or experienced adoption, but I have an experience that kind of gives you the flavor of what it feels like to be a part of something. You guys remember, after we, um, the day we were leaving for missions in Atlantic City, P. Tom invited all of us to go to the food court, near the H Mart, to have one last meal. And the thought behind it was, we're about to eat peanut butter and jelly for seven days, and it's, it's, not, it's not fun. So let's go get comfort food and share in a meal together and send us off as a group, right? And so you go there, and you can have so many options. There's like several, seven or eight different restaurants, right? And so I got omelet rice because that's comfort food for me. And I didn't ask Tom, but I'm assuming he got Jige, because I know he likes to make that and he also likes to eat this, this is a stew, an army stew that's filled with spam and meat and kimchi. It's really spicy. It's really flavorful. And then I was sitting, we sat at tables, and I was sitting at the table with Julie Kwan and her kids, Ethan and Emily, and they got tukboki. Now, this is like a rice cake with a spicy, sweet sauce, right? And we were eating family style. And next to me at the other table was Peter and Chris and Matt. And so I go to take a piece of duckboki, and she goes, oh, that's spicy. And before I have to say anything, I don't know if it was Matt or it was Chris or it was Peter, they put their hand in, like, this is Chris. Chris eats all of this stuff. Chris Chris can handle spicy food. Chris eats all this Korean food. And I realized in that moment that I had been adopted, (laughs) that I was one of the guys. They knew what I liked to eat. They knew better than... Julie did, and they stood in for me, and they're like, he's ours, right? Now, what's amazing about that is that in that one interaction, you also see how limited your adoption is, because Julie is a part of our sister church, and yet she has no idea anything about what I like and who I am, right? And so our, our adoption is limited to time and place, And anytime I go somewhere else, if I go to the West Coast, I meet a friend, they want to go for Korean food, I have to have the same conversation. Oh, that's kimchi. It smells funny. It's spicy. I have a jar of kimchi in my refrigerator at home. But I have to have this conversation because my adoption at Grace Point does not extend to the West Coast. It doesn't even extend to North Wales. But when Jesus speaks to Mary after he resurrects, what does he say? I'm ascending to my father and your father. The Lord's prayer, right? Our father. Jesus is teaching them to pray to our father. We can cry out to God and call him dad. We have a hard time, some of us, doing that with our own biological fathers. Our relationships are distant or cold or strained by hurt. And the God of the universe says, call me daddy. Daddy. Come to me with your worries. I love you. No human relationship can give us that security. No marriage, no job, no accomplishments. With God, it's unchanging. It's permanent, sealed with Christ's blood, who's done the work for us. I texted Tom this week, and I was asking him about, what is it about the mafia that appeals to you? And his answer was exactly what I thought he would say. He said, family you're adopted into the family, right? They have your back, they're for you. And that's really true, and that's the appeal of the mafia for a lot of people. But mafia adoption is legalism because you're only family if you do exactly what you're supposed to do. And as soon as you break one of the commandments, the penalty is death. And it's particularly crushing in The Godfather because it's an actual brother, a blood brother. We can experience adoption in our family when we get married, right? But you still have to do something. You have to get married to be adopted. And one of the major sources of conflict in marriages is your relationship with your in-laws, right? I remember the first time I visited Courtney in Oklahoma when we were dating and I'm on vacation. And so I I sleep, I sleep in. I come down at nine o'clock in the morning, everyone's showered, dressed, they've gone shopping. They've come back and they were looking at me like, Who's this bum still sleeping? And I was like, I'm on vacation. Like, why can't I be comfortable? And it took a lot of visits over the holidays for me to get used to what Courtney's mom thinks of his rest, which is get the family together. Let's go do stuff. Let's go do stuff together. And we've made a lot of headway, but you're never fully comfortable, right? Even when you have an amazing set of in-laws. But Christ says, come as you are. You're my child no matter what. And there's even more because our adoption benefits are only partially given now. And when Christ returns, we still await resurrection bodies. And if you think about Revelation 21, think about all these future blessings we get as sons and daughters, right? God's dwelling place is among his people. He'll wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or crying or pain. I am making everything new to the thirsty. I'll give water without cost. No longer will there be a curse. Ever think about the fact that if you're a believer, you're in the family of God, we're all family. This morning in prayer, it was really, really sweet. Like, Sarai was praying, and he said, he prayed for our church that we would love each other like a family. He said, not with the kindness that you extend to others because you know them or it's the right thing to do, but because we're brothers and sisters, do we think about each other in that way? It's a really beautiful picture. It's what Christ has purchased for us. And you also ever think about the fact that we are united to all the Old Testament believers. I say this every time I lead Lord's Supper, right, that we look forward to that marriage supper of the Lamb where we're surrounded by all of the believers. And I do that because it's true, but it's also, it's something that captivates me. Do you think about the fact that you are going to be around everybody that we read about? And you can ask them all these questions. I got to spend time with my dad and my uncle over break in Seattle. And I love grabbing a beer and sitting with my dad and my uncle and hearing stories of their childhood that I've never heard before. And you get a whole window into who your dad is and what his relationship is like with his brother. It's awesome. We're going to be able to do that with David with Solomon. What was it like to face Goliath? What are all the moments in your life that haven't been preserved in scripture that you can tell us about? That is awesome. We've been given access to believers throughout history that's going to be permanent. The text ends with the why. Why all these blessings? And if you look at verse 6 it says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the Beloved. Why does God give us all these blessings in Christ? For the praise of his name, that we would see how awesome and how amazing and how wonderful God is, far greater than anything else the world offers. People wonder about the fall. Why would God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Because in some way it magnifies God's glory and his goodness and his mercy and his power. You can't do the one thing I asked you to do. That's not going to get in my way. Nothing can get in my way from saving a people for myself and taking them as my son and daughter. Nothing. The weak made strong, sinful made holy. Jesus seemingly defeated on the cross, the greatest victor, the one who defeats sin and death permanently. Think about this week, what it means to be chosen. Think about what it means to be loved as a son and daughter. And that will change everything that you do, your motivations, your attitudes, your boldness, your worries. It can only happen when you know you're blessed.